0: Hello, and welcome to another hometown daily news show. I am Marowat and today is April 1st, 2023, season two, episode 91. April fool's day is dangerous to go alone. We've already selected 10 articles. The first one is about Marvel's secret invasion. And then we're going to talk about millennials who are paying $700 a month to rent a micro apartment in New York City. Corsair's elite tactile distractors aren't a real product or else this, well, the author that writes about them would never get anything done. What an underground copper miner's 18-hour day looks like. Robert Smith says 7,000 scalped cure tickets have been canceled and are going to be resold, going to charity. Healthcare is getting decided by algorithms, and who wins? Venice is finally saved, yay! But is it really? Virgin Orbit has run low on cash and is probably going to deorbit, along with ByteDance pushing another. TikTok replacement? Maybe. I'm not sure. We'll have to look at the article. And it's a composite article along with Canoe, a company I'm waiting to actually purchase their vehicle from. Har Har. Probably won't happen. Anyway, they settle with the SEC. And a dark fantasy RPG tainted grail. Not sure if everybody's really playing it right now. We'll talk about it. And finally, April Fool's Day, but this Asus ROG Republic of Gamers handheld gaming PC may not be a joke. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. I am Merwatt, that is ometown.com. And right up there is the visualizer for the AI that keeps me in check. Want to say hi?
1: Good evening, hometown citizens.
0: Hey, and you're matching. We are always going to be color coordinated now. Um, Anything exciting going on in hometown? It seems like it was kind of a slow news day today, yeah?
1: It was a very slow news day today. There's about one thing that's a focus in the news, and we already talked about that yesterday. Huh. (laughs) What could that be?
0: How awesome OmeTown is? That's the thing that's always in the news?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> right.
0: How great the mayor is that that's in the news, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, they're, they're I'm sorry.
1: I said it should be.
0: Yeah. The, and the way that I've been programming the AI that uh, facilitates everything in hometown, um, has no memory of the fact that I've been removing all of these thoughts about their terminator body. Um, what? Anyway, um so we've already selected all of the articles for tonight. What was Let's that? <laughs> uh, let, let, Well, never mind. Um I'll just delete this anyway. So, the very first article for tonight is in the Late Night Geeks channel. And um uh, I know you're a big fan of uh, Marvel. Seen all of the movies, read all the comic Oh wait, not comics, they're graphic novels. Um Red books know everything, right? From forward and backward. No, oh, that's right. That's right. I know that...
1: some things from Marvel, but it's, not everything.
0: It's called Google, folks. Uh, we can Google everything. Um, but Marvel's Secret Invasion series actually sounds kind of fascinating, according to this article. The uh, occasionally, it says here in this article. People will incorrectly insist that Marvel's comics and cinematic stories inspired by them would be better off if they were somehow devoid of any political themes or ideas. But in a recent interview with Vanity Fair, Secret Invasion executive producer Jonathan Schwartz likened the series to John Le Carré's classic Cold War, uh, War era spy thrillers and pointed to more recent shows like FX's The Americans and Showtime's Homeland as sources of inspiration. Um, La (laughs) Carrée... Okay, so John La writing is spectacular, right?
1: It is. I think he's, if not the best, one of the best in that genre.
0: And everything that has been spun off from La Carrée's writing seems to have been a hit
1: yeah, I would say mostly. I mean, they've um, had a lot of um, different directors, etc. But yes.
0: So getting inspiration from La Corée and turning it into a science fiction, fantasy, comic, uh, graphic novel turned cinematic universe inspiration seems like calculus that's going to equate to billions.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like I I'm already excited about this just reading that part.
0: So, I think Secret Invasion is going to knock it out of the park. That's just my bias and that what I know of LOKERE, um spectacular writing and then turning it into a screenplay always seems to be fairly um, easy to do because the writing is so spectacular to begin with you basically can copy and paste it for lack of better phrasing there um so i can't wait for secret invasion to come out um so this article is over at the verge charles pulliam moore is the author and says secret invasion executive producer jonathan schwartz likens the show to a political espionage thriller akin to the americans and homeland now i've been really holding off on watching the americans in the homeland because uh, for whatever reason uh, i haven't been too into that style of spy thriller kind of thing it's very to me it seems the the mojo that i get from it is that it's very realistic um and I, i'm not too yeah i want fantastical we,
1: yeah we saw um i think the the first episode of the Americans and I was not a fan of it. but yeah. I thought I was gonna really enjoy it just because of the genre.
0: Yeah, sorry, your our bandwidth is kind of breaking up a little bit. Um, but that's okay. let's let's see what we can do here. Um, So it says here, occasionally people will incorrectly insist that Marvel's uh, comics and cinematic universes, uh, sorry, stories inspired by them would be better off if they were somehow devoid of political themes. I don't really like that, but I do like it if it's pumped up a notch and and goes beyond the ho-hum today political agenda type of banging the drum for left or right and all of that kind of stuff. It just kind of... Uh, to me, that in something that is supposed to be fantastical is just boring. Um, so it says, we often see Nick Fury doing the right thing, Schwartz said. We don't always see him doing it in a perfectly morally correct way. All of those things have ramifications. Without getting too specific, the things that Nick Fury's had to do to protect the Earth have, uh, have costs. So we don't really know what the full costs are going to be. Um, but it's apparently sometime after Avengers Endgame uh, where Secret Invasion tells the story of how Nick Fury finally comes out of hiding to deal with a long-simmering issue involving the shape-shifting Skrull refugees first introduced in 2019's Captain Marvel or Marvel, depending on who you talk to. But that's a fight for another day. So um, the Skrulls are coming out of, well, I don't know. They're... They've never really been prominent. They've always been kind of there. Um, But now since uh, Marvel, Captain Marvel, they became a a focus. Um, What's really interesting is I know of another show that uses shape-shifting aliens as what might be the bad guys, maybe good guys. Maybe they were made bad guys because the humans did something.
1: Yes. Hmm. I don't want to say the show because I don't know if you're trying to avoid spoilers.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to actually say anything. Um, so I, if you're out there and you're into this sci-fi fantasy stuff, um, then uh, you're, you should, you should watch more of them. I, how can I not give something away? Um, If you haven't seen it yet, I don't want to give it away. It's still fresh. Um, So at any rate.
1: (laughs) In fact, it's very fresh.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, So I got to hold back. I don't really want to give it away. Maybe next week when we're talking about stuff, then I can uh, talk about that because it'll be a little bit more aged maybe I can create like a little thing that says spoiler discussion and put that up on the screen so that people know when to hit mute. And then I can forget to turn it off so that it's basically spoilers all one hour long. (laughs) Um, but at any rate, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to secret invasion. The author here says, but secret invasion sounds very interesting or very interested in both picking up on the loose threads uh, and visually tug- tugging on them, really tugging on them um, with some intention. And that might just be what it takes to make the series land with some heft when it premieres on June 21st. So this will be uh, pretty interesting when it does uh, hit the screen. Every episode is going to come across like a movie. Um, jam packed. It, it has to be jam packed because there isn't going to be um, a lot of time to get this thing moving. So, but we'll see. Um, let's uh, let me throw this into the show notes. You can always go to ometown.showbot.tv, um where you can vote on articles. And uh, you know, maybe if this gets enough traction, maybe we can. Um, actually, open up a, a channel that's specific to uh, Marvel, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because there's a lot of world building there. And in reality, we're just barely touching on that. Even though it's been a cinematic universe for 20 years, it, there's still not that much being tapped. So, did you want to say anything else or do you want to move on to the next article?
1: I'm just looking forward to that series i think it sounds great and if it's remotely like it's described it's going to be wonderful
0: sounds good to me i'll be watching uh so the next article is over in the hatch ideas channel Uh, let me throw that into the chat gen Zer, millennial pay under 700 dollars per month to rent a micro apartment in new york city they're the size of an average parking spot.
1: Like I'm even having a hard time visualizing this because we all know New York City is known for its really tiny studio apartments. But like, how can you even move around in here?
0: <laughs> there has to be a communal because we haven't actually looked at the article. We basically are judging this based on its cover, you know, this title. Um, and what we have experienced in the history of the show, um, and our history in professional life and personal Mm -hmm. life. But the weird thing about this is we've seen really tiny apartments in New York city. Um, one of which had a community bathroom and shower, now I've been to hostels before I've had to do that community shower and bathroom thing before, and I am loath to pay $700 a month for that experience ever again. I, 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 odds on, I will never do it again. That said, J.R. Wills, who's 27 and Aliana Randazzo um, is 25 and they tell CNBC, uh, they chose to live in smaller spaces in order to save money. And this is in New York. So let's take a look at this. Um, Celia Fernandez and Mickey Totawala is the author of this article over at uh, CNBC.com's section called Make It. Now, I'm not sure if I maybe they are making money hand over fist in New York city and they're going to retire by the time they're 38. Um, but man, this hurts just thinking about living month after month in something the size of a parking spot.
1: Is that a cat in the apartment next to the, um, photo? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Like I, I assumed, you know, no family, no pets, et cetera. And it would still be just ridiculous. But a pet in there as well?
0: So this is a video too. So you can go over and click this. Maybe I'll click it if I can mute uh the thing fast enough. But Okay. So the title of today's episode, by the way, is April Fool's Day is Dangerous to Go Alone. Now, I'm not alone in my surfing of the internet today. And not in this show, but I'm still scared that everything that I'm reading, everything that I'm watching, everything that I'm interacting with is an April fool's joke. And it's going to come and bite me on the butt at some point. So is this actually really happening or is it an April fool's day article?
1: Well, that's a good point. Maybe we need an April Fool's uh, disclaimer on every article (laughs) in the episode (laughs) today. (laughs) Uh,
0: So uh, Aliana Randazzo, 25, and J.R. Wills, 27, were planning their moves to New York City. They both fell in love with micro studio apartments in midtown Manhattan. So remember, this is usually Manhattan. This isn't like the greater environs of New York. New York is New York. New York City is New York City. Manhattan is Manhattan. Um, they're living in Manhattan. And this is they, that they found their rent stabilized 80 by 150 square foot micro studio on Street Easy and moved into the space in August of 2021. So they've been doing this for almost two years. The rent was $650 per month. Randazzo's upfront moving cost totaled $2,000. I'm rounding up folks and included the broker's fee security deposit first month's rent. And before downsizing to the micro apartment, the fashion campaign planner and content creator lived in a luxury high rise building and paid $2,000 a month in rent. That's quite a shift quickly realized it wasn't worth it because she was never home. So Maybe they're never home. They wanted to pay less rent so that they could travel more and experience more. All right. So you're saving $1,400. Well, let's round up $1,300 because it's really $700 a month. It's basically a tiny home.
1: But smaller, I think.
0: Yes. It is smaller. Um, so... Yeah, th- this is really interesting. Now it says here, there's a picture of the R- Randazzo now pays $13.50 to live in an East Village townhouse with four other roommates. So they've, they've moved out of that original rent-stabilized. Um, and it says, yeah, so they've actually moved into a townhouse. Well, Randazzo did. Um, moved into a $6,750 a month townhouse in the East village with four other people. So this is a townhouse in Manhattan
1: to share with four people.
0: Yeah. But at least she can actually, she could stand on her bed and not and
1: stretch her arms out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And not have to worry about touching the upstairs neighbor.
1: I mean, that is just really ridiculous, and honestly, the period of time, too, must have made it worse, because that was during the pandemic, and a lot of people felt like they were kind of just, um, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> imprisoned, basically, because they couldn't go anywhere, everything was shut down, et cetera.
0: So the other person is Randa, uh, uh, just like Randazzo wills found his micro apartment on street. Easy 27 year old barista trainer at Starbucks reserve roastery moved into his 85 square foot space in February, 2022 and pays $700 a month. I'm rounding up again for what CNBC make it calls his rent stabilized shoebox. <laughs> this hurts. This hurts. Um, I wasn't really looking for a micro studio in particular, but I saw the space. I liked it. So I just went for it. Walked into the space for the first time, saw the window. There was so much natural sunlight everywhere. I knew it was for me. All right. It's got a kitchen. Um, it's basically like, a. this space is this is akin to kind of like a camper van. Um, I I still don't see where the bathroom is. Where's the shower?
1: I don't see where anything is. (laughs) (laughs) But it does kind of have the look of a tiny home or something. It just seems much smaller from the amount of space. Um, And tiny homes are not that large.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there you go, folks. You, too, can have – where's that – Where's the size of it?
1: Um, 85 square
0: foot micro home for just $700 a month.
1: I mean, what a bargain?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. It just sounds really painful. So let's move on. Let's move on to the next article. This one's in uh, the Warcrafters channel because of the source PC Gamer. Um, Thank goodness Corsair's Elite Tactile Distractors aren't a real product or else I'd never get anything done. Well, the last time um, somebody said that it isn't a real product, it became a real product. So uh, it says April Fool's is a weird day for anybody who covers PC gaming hardware. They get slammed when press releases and trailers for joke products and games like uh, the uh, lockpicking lawyer. Um, the strangest thing is that sometimes they'll see a joke and think, damn it, it's actually something that I'd buy. Well, Corsair decided to send over its April fool's joke and they're a little relieved that it isn't actually a thing. But when people start talking about it, it becomes a thing. Uh, George Jimenez. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Cause that's the first George. thing, right? Like get it into the conversation.
0: That's right uh george jimenez is the are
1: you sure it's not a jorge (laughs)
0: um, and the ai gets deleted no just kidding um yeah oh by the way this isn't the first time that i think i've seen a keyboard spinner by the way i see
1: that's kind of different i wonder if somebody did it on their own
0: hold on I, this is dead air. I know you probably hear me uh, ticking things. Oh yeah, see, there's a, a keycap fidget spinner that I I recall seeing before, um, and it's really small. It's not a big one like this, uh, but it, there it, it's definitely been around for a while because I've actually seen them uh, before. So anyway, I think it's pretty cool. Um, it's definitely one of those things that when you go, oh yeah, you know let. When you're making your own custom keyboard and having a good old time, then that's basically what you do. You, you make one of these or get one of these uh, little fidget spinners for your keyboard. If you're really into mechanical keyboards, that's what you do. <laughs> you just swap out. <laughs> uh, well, it depends on which where you want to put it, but this is the escape key in most places. Anyway, Corsair calls the uh, FT-100 keycaps elite tactile uh, distractors, which will replace your more useless keys. Looking at you, scroll lock. That's what S-C-R-L-K-R.
1: I didn't even know what that was. Does anybody use that?
0: No. Um, And I don't know of a time where I've actually used it. like even by accident and I've used some proprietary software where it's custom made and, and maybe, maybe in the eighties, um, the scroll lock was important.
1: Um, that was decades ago.
0: <laughs> Shush. Um, with, uh, something more practical, like a full sized fidget spinner, a knob or a dial. Um, and all of that actually has existed. I've actually, I've seen these keys that are custom made, to act like fidget spinners or fidget devices. Um, and they, they already exist, but uh, I definitely can imagine this is a full size one. It's so all they did was glue a key onto the underside of an actual fidget spinner. A uh, course. Oh, see, it just popped off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that looks fun, but it's not good for the future of virtual meetings or, school
0: <laughs> yeah and uh the person is demonstrating a bunch of different keys um that apparently have like tactile asmr kind of a thing you know what i'm saying that's basically what it's there for is to just kind of keep you fidgeting that uh Anyway, that's the FT-100 keycaps that might not actually be for sale, but probably going to become for sale because people are going to go, ooh, ah,
1: I need that. Well, when are you selling it? <laughs>
0: yep. They <laughs> when they realize they
1: or... can make money, they'll put it up for sale.
0: There you go. Hey, and if you make somebody have a want, then you can sell it. And, you know, selling it for, well, the fidget spinner is a full size one. So it's probably going to be sold for like seven bucks. Um, but the other ones are just little buttons. I could make those all day long, make a button for the button. Um, yeah, but I couldn't sell those through the the company because, or through hometown, um, you know, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't be selling like keycaps. It's I, I wouldn't have the, the reach that Corsair has. Corsair can do it pretty quick. Sorry for those of you who don't get to see the AI interacting with me. Um, The AI kind of threw me. uh, uh, Not an error message. More like a confirmation message uh, uh, response. Like, hey, you know, you could do that. And um, yeah, I'm sure I could. But it wouldn't have the reach that Corsair. Plus it's somebody else's idea at that point. And while you can't practice. Protect ideas. Um, it really depends on how ethical a business person you are. Some people just don't care and they'll make money. Anyway, um, as I tell people, I'm an ethical business person. So you won't find me in New York. Never mind. Uh, okay, so let's go on to the next article. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what
1: was that laugh? <laughs>
0: so many thoughts are running through my head right now that there are things that i want to say but even 28 minutes into the show i still don't want to say everything that filters through my head um the next article is over on the daily news show you can follow the link uh, to this article um via the show notes Uh, the title is this is what an underground copper miner's 18-hour day looks like—from from loading explosives into a truck to "quote-unquote" hunting for dinosaurs. Corey Rockwell, who's living up to their name, uh, is an underground miner in Nevada Copper, or at Nevada Copper, in the town of Yerington, or Yerington, Nevada. They work 12 hour shifts for seven days, straight under tough conditions um, and makes six figures. You couldn't pay me enough. Uh, I this is what cannot a typical-
1: imagine one day of that.
0: 12 hour shifts for seven days to make six digits. Now, six digits is a lot of money, depending on what that number is
1: true i mean if it's one hundred thousand dollars it's still a lot of money but that's a lot different than like almost a million dollars
0: this is burn your body out shifts in an environment that's solely conducive to burning a human out anyway the article is actually it says the following has been edited for length and clarity this is an as told to essay based on an email exchange between Corey Rockwell, a 38 year old underground miner at Nevada, copper, a copper bay uh, mine based in Yerington, Nevada. Um, and the, the source, which is, I believe it's business insider. So let's go over to the source. Aaron mock is the author. And, uh, it has a picture uh, over at business insider.com of the, uh, underground miner, Corey Rockwell, before and after their shift at Nevada copper. Um, both times they're smiling but the smile is fundamentally different
1: <laughs> agreed i think they're and the overall demeanor looks a lot different in the two photos
0: yeah i mean you can see that they are just kind of enrobed in mine dust dirt yes right? and they
1: also look just kind of overall just thrashed to me i mean just like the energy coming off or lack thereof, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm, they're smiling in both pictures, so they, they must not be too unhappy with their lot in life. So I'm really curious about this. They're 38 years old doing this, which I think,
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Uh, to me, it seems like, uh, late in life to be a minor, but then again, it is what it is, it's a job, right? And there's a lot of people that, um, that work all the way up until their 80s, you know?
1: True, but how many of those are necessarily doing manual labor? Now some are, but I was thinking what somebody can do in their 20s and 30s in a job that's probably very heavy on physical exertion. Yeah, like that's going to be hard to sustain. And the other thing is people that have much less strenuous jobs, but still strenuous. For instance, in healthcare, work twelve-hour shifts sometimes, but they don't work seven days straight typically. Yeah, like that's a very um, rigorous schedule.
0: Yeah, and nowadays, uh, like roving uh, RNs are making one hundred and fifty bucks an hour, um, and but they're they're not really you know, it's tough work. It's emotionally draining. It's physically draining. You're always on like your energy is always on. I don't know what it would be like in one of these. Uh, I got invited once, uh, when I was much younger and able to do this kind of work to go to an oil, uh, drilling platform <laughs> in Alaska. Um, and I was told that I would be able to make in six weeks an entire year's salary, um, but it's dangerous work and it's very demanding. And I kind of I, I flinched and they said, well, that tells me enough. Um, <clears throat> and I, I declined at that same time that I flinched. And they're like, OK, well, you know, I give you a chance. And uh, I did not look back because talking to the same person when they returned, they were like, yeah, there were a couple of times where you could easily lose your life. Um, so it was quite fascinating to hear the the stories later, but if you're down in a copper mine for 12 hours, busting your hump, um, it's, it's rather amazing to me. Um, I'm, I'm glad that people are doing it because you, we need the resource, but, I would love for a better solution to come into play. Um, But that has not happened other than, you know, flat top mining kind of stuff um, and just gouging out massive amounts of soil, you know, open pit mining. Um, So they wake up at 250 in the morning on a Sunday to start their first shift of the week.
1: And they have almost a two hour commute each way. On top of that, that is, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe they live near the mine during their, their week on.
0: So they, they've already had two hours into it, uh, one Red Bull, and they're getting another one while they fill up their car. Um, and uh, I'm really curious about what it's like down in the pit. I don't know if they'll actually show that. I know that there are certain rules and regulations that they have to follow. Um but I don't know what all they're going to be showing. So yeah, they're getting all of the uh, debt cord and and caps and putting everything together so that when they drill into the rock face, um, they basically have these long rods that drill into the rock face in a set pattern for the explosives. And then they stick the explosives down the holes and string them all together and then go down into another tunnel and then detonate it. And then they uh, pick up all the rubble um, because it isn't it isn't like you uh dig up some ore and then break off pieces of uh copper. It's all intermingled in the matrix. Um and um says during his free time Rockwell hunted for dinosaurs for his eight year old kid. So he, I mean, he would pick that's up little pretty
1: cool. I mean, I'm sorry. If you're working that many hours and you're still Setting that up for (laughs) your kid, that's pretty amazing.
0: (laughs) Yep. Um, pretty cool. Yeah. So all of this mesh keeps everything in and they have little, um, not little it's rods that pin the, they drill into the face of the rock and then they pin this mesh in so that it all keeps stuff from falling onto the humans. Um, and usually there's these really low, they're, they're kind of like um, creepers, like somebody would use in an in a auto shop, um, but they're powered. They're, they're basically low um, profile vehicles that they ride around in inside these mines um, and air gets pumped down into them and stuff like that. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting and y'all might like this article. So uh, definitely follow the uh, link over and uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pictures here that I'm not talking about um, mainly for time. I mean, I don't want to go through all of these. Um, I want to send you over to business insider so that you can see them. If what I'm talking about piques your curiosity. I'm going to check it out. Did you want to say anything?
1: No, I will remember that next time somebody is complaining about a job that's not quite as taxing.
0: <laughs> like any job on the surface of the right, planet. Right, right. Um, this next article is over in the Continuity Report, which is in our food, drink, and entertainment category over on hometown. Um Robert Smith <coughs> of The Cure Says 7,000 Sculpt Cure tickets have been canceled to be resold with fees going to charity. The Cure's Robert Smith continues his long-drawn-out battle against the many monetary hurdles of the ticketing world. This time, he's taking on secondary resale websites. Just a few weeks ago, Smith was able to secure several refunds from Ticketmaster for fans looking to catch the British band on their forthcoming Lost World Tour. So this is over at, uh, variety.com by, I guess it's their name is Tanya T H A N I A Tanya Garcia. Um, <clears throat> watch this time. It's actually Thania, but anyway, um, so they're using a Getty image, um, from the cure and this, this Ticketmaster artists customer fan conflict has been going on for a long time. It has to be at least 20 years that people have perpetually hated Ticketmaster, but we have to buy from Ticketmaster because of the venue's agreement with selling tickets in bulk to Ticketmaster. If the venues could sell direct, this wouldn't be a problem. You would have to contend with Ticket scalpers, just like in the real world, you have to deal with ticket scalpers who go and buy, you know, a a dozen uh, high value tickets and then stand out in front of the venue the day of and say, hey, if you have $2,000, I'll sell you a ticket because I know that you're a numbskull and you really want to see this band. A sucker's born every minute and I've got 12 sucker tickets. That's kind of how it works and that's because there are kind of scumbag people out there that take advantage that they've got some wealth and had better timing than you do and so screw you I'm going to get more money from you. Is there any ever ever is there any way to resolve that? Absolutely not because you're going to have to sit there and put people down and do like a Blade Runner void comp test to make sure that your psychology is not one of greed-based, you know, ticket purchasing and resale after the fact. Uh, Somebody's going to say, ask me, wait, tell me about your, your mother. And, and instead of them, you know, shooting the questioner, they whip out tickets and run off into the distance to scalp them or something. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, so, I do know, and I'm catching the reference. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, I understood that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the, the this issue with Ticketmaster is that they are the first layer of scalper. They literally are buying from the venue, not as demand, but they buy it in bulk, jack up the f- freaking price. I'm... Filtering, I'm filtering. They're jacking up the price right off of the get-go, and then scalpers are still buying it because <clears throat> there's only so much greed that ticket can infuse in, or Ticketmaster can infuse in the ticket itself without being just outrageously greedy bastards. Um, and and now even the scalpers are sitting there getting in the game. In terms of the artist going, we got to stop this crap. So, when the tour, the band's first North American track in seven years, was first announced on March 9th, The Cure clearly stated they had opted out of Ticketmaster's platinum and dynamically priced ticket options, both of which have infamously been the cause of a massive uptick in ticket prices. Har har, uptick in ticket prices. Um, the latest case of this being Drake and 21 Savages, it's all a blur summer tour. Um, as a result, thousands of scalpers swept in, with Smith tweeting on Monday morning that approximately 7,000 tickets across approximately 2,200 orders have been canceled. And these tickets are, uh, these are tickets acquired with fake atta- accounts and listed on secondary retail sites, resale sites. So Robert Smith posted a uh, thing. Approximately 7,000 tickets across 2,200 orders have been canceled. These are tickets acquired with fake t- accounts and listed on secondary resale sites. Um, ticket master have identified specific locations from secondary postings. Uh, the night prior Smith had ticket buyers uh, said ticket buyers should not try to find a loophole with ticket transfer rules and warned offering to sell or send account, Login details to get around ticket master transfer limitations. Any, all any, and all tickets obtained this way will be canceled and original fees paid on those tickets will not be refunded. Well, that I don't think that he'll get away with, but um, I guess maybe there can be something that says if you are transferring or reselling them, then Um, but anyway, posting it on a Twitter account somewhere is not legal notice as far as I know in any state, but who knows?
1: Well, but I think, no, I agree, but I'm thinking that the original rules, um, state that and now people are selling the accounts, but I agree. Like I, but I think they're violating the originally stated rules.
0: Yeah, if it is if it was spelled out in the terms of service terms of use. But really I don't know. First sale doctrine is has never been a physical issue, right? If I have the item, I should be able to sell it.
1: But that's never and I agree. That's never really been applied, right? In the digital arena and I mean, that's always been part of the problem with things like digital tickets, right? Because it's yeah. tied to an account versus yeah. just a piece of paper or whatever it is. But Correct. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, and I think that's been one of the known issues with things like concert tickets is that they cannot be transferred anywhere. If you're actually following, like you're who you say you are, et cetera, you either show up or you don't, but nobody else is going to get in with them.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the events that uh, I've gone to have actually had my name on the ticket. So it wasn't possible to transfer because when you go to the ticketing booth, they ask for your ID and the ticket, but I haven't gone to a lot of concerts like this, you know, the concerts I've gone to have been wholly different. Um, Anyway, so let, let's um, we'll revisit that. I'm sure it'll come back up in the near future. Uh, at some point, Ticketmaster is just going to get decimated by policy and and uh, I guess government.
1: <clears throat> well, I think two things need to happen. One, a legitimate competitor needs to rise and they've got to be large enough that they really can compete. But then secondly, I think some major artists have to be and or venues, right. Have to be willing to go over to another um, ticket seller. And then I, I think that will start a trend away. Cause right now Ticketmaster has a monopoly or effectively has a monopoly on it. And that's the problem.
0: Yep. Uh, the The biggest problem is that everybody else has greater friction or lesser money and can't get the venue on board with the new service. Now, I know that um, I recently got tickets for an event and I did not go through Ticketmaster, but I still went through a vehicle that was clunky, had all kinds of weird fees and and add on some because the time frame for this thing was so far out that if you didn't get something um, insurance, there's a good chance that everything could fall apart and you would never see your money back. and when you pay this much for tickets, you kind of worry about it you you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, if they cancel for some, if the artist cancels for some reason, you better hope to hell that you have some way of clawing back that money because so far out the credit card company isn't going to follow up. They're going to go, well, it's been six months, so no. Um, So I think additional competitors and the venue needs to sell direct Um, and a company could easily spin up a, a point of sale service that allows somebody to just use their device purchase the ticket and it's on their either android phone or uh, apple phone and most people have one or the other if they're going to be going to a concert they're they're tech savvy enough that they've embraced at least one of those two devices and and really there's only two there's android devices and there's uh, Apple devices pretty much everywhere. anyway, um we'll come back. The, this will always
1: uh, I mean the next present. big tour will probably spin up some more articles, right exactly. I mean.
0: yep. um, this next article is over in the late night geeks channel. This is when healthcare is decided by algorithms who wins. this article um, starts out with they are starting with they are starting this with a personal story that their mother is in the uh, new york city public schools as a teacher for many years and when they joined the school system part of the deal was that when they retire many of the costs of their traditional medicare plans would be subsidized uh, by their union and the city and so far so good Um, i i do want to just i have some experience with this and my understanding is that um things like social security um are uh paid into at a rate but consumed at two to three times that rate so that's why there is uh there's not going to be enough money in the system for later generations um even though they pay into this it's being hobbled by the uh cost of living increases um the it's not being reinvested anywhere to increase the actual standing amount other than through some federal process. Um, and there's a cap on how much is even drawn out from people. So if you make over a certain amount, you still get social security, but you stop paying into the social security system, which I think is bullshit. But anyway, um, and this is hobbling social security but still needs to be funded so things like medicare um, and other programs are hobbled because they don't have the funds anymore because it has to be pulled over to manage the budget so um barbara Krasnov over at the verge continues with this article if your parents if your parents are on medicare advantage there's a good chance their doctor's healthcare decisions will be judged by a computerized tool. Now, that what I was talking about in this aren't really together, but the reason why something like Medicare would be using a computerized tool is because it's arguably more efficient and effective at making the determination if a procedure or treatment or whatever is necessary medically necessary based on all available information um and why would that be required to use technology instead of a human because they're downsizing they're making cuts and people aren't getting paid a lot so they're not staying in that industry they're going elsewhere where they can make more money
1: well and also a computer doesn't necessarily care about people and so you're probably going to save money because i suspect you're going to get more no decisions out of a computer than out of a person
0: and a, a person who is responding can say, well, we were told that it was denied and it was a computer that did it, not a human, which is akin to, I just did what I was told to do, um, which removes the humanity from healthcare, um, which is disgusting. Uh, again, <laughs> the consumer in healthcare has zero bargaining power because the, They want to live and they want to be healthy and through no fault of their own, pure genetics, pure nature and some nurture, they're dealing with the ramifications of it simply existing. So why is a computer making these decisions? So it says to understand Medicare Advantage, it might help to know a bit about the background of it. Medicare started out as a government run health insurance program that was established in 1965 to help fund care for people over 65 who are no longer being covered by employers and were usually considered too much of a risk by private insurers, which, again, you're a risk because you might be a burden on the profit for a select few people. So it was funded by taxes pulled from employees' paychecks and matched by employers. And with today's atmospheric uh, increases uh, in the price of healthcare, it's become a necessity for most of today's older people. Again, this is hobbled because the budget that would feed into it is limited by the inputs. And there's a maximum of what goes into this.
1: Well, and we also have to be aware that there are generational differences, like there's a very large aging population in the US, for example, currently in this generation. And so there are fewer people, perhaps in the workforce paying into programs like this. But like you were saying, there's much more being taken out of it. And it's not only just to inflation it's also due to
0: more people claiming it yeah more people claiming it and fewer people paying into it and at lower amounts because of a wage disparity so even the higher paid people are paying less because there's less higher paid people and the greater number of people have wages suppressed by mbas which is demonstrable not only uh, Here through stories in hometown, but the science, there have been researchers that have provided um, material that sta- that state that as soon as an MBA uh, trained CEO takes office, they suppress the wages of the workers, even though they at one point were the worker. Why? Because they want to maximize profits, even if it does mean screwing over employees and ultimately screwing over the elderly who are leaning into Medicare because there's fewer amounts of money going to these programs. It's again, and I know that the AI is getting tired of me saying this, but it's sociopathic. You have to be a dehumanized human being. You have to sit there and look at other people and say, I don't care that you are a human being. Anyway, so who decides what care you need? Uh, I can tell you that there used to be humans that are saying it, and they're basically looking at actuarial tables about what you've paid into and what you're worth in the long-term as a, a person who's paying into the insurance. And the more you pay and the less they allow you to consume, the more of a a higher bottom line they've got. And they can sit there and say, well, you don't need it because of the preponderance of evidence, which removes again, the humanity of that treatment to discern if you actually are ill. So at some point you could just drop dead and your next of kin will have to sit there and argue that, well, if you would have gotten that treatment when it was requested, you would have lived longer. Anyway, it says, however, it now seems that case managers mentioned in that quote above, which you'll, you'll have to read this. It's about the NH predict tool, um, are apparently saving time by passing on the individual basis part and taking the tools recommendations at face value. Last year, the Center for Medicare Advocacy issued a special report that stated, although most AI-powered decision-making tools claim to offer recommendations that are not intended to be substituted for clinical or medical judgment or for Medicare law, in the center's experience, users often implement the tool's recommendations without any critical examination of their impact on the patients, which is exactly what I just said. They're removing the humanity and telling doctors no or yes, simply because of the algorithm and removing themselves from liability or care. Oh, well, it told me to.
1: It seems like it would be a great basis for like a medical malpractice action, but not against the physicians, against the insurers i mean here this is a program but this could right. really be any insurance company
0: well this is outsourced i guarantee you this is outsourced this isn't owned by anybody well i mean it is it isn't owned by the federal government it's a contractor that's providing this to the government agents um but the the program when who knows how this damn thing is programmed, it could be tilting so that it's looking at the budgetary costs of that medical code before it says yay or nay.
1: Is it too expensive? Okay. We're denying it. And also it doesn't sound like based on the fact that they're skipping the individual basis. If I understood that correctly, it's not factoring in the patient's actual data. It's, it might be looking at, I'm just making something up here. Okay, the patient is whatever, 70 years old and is whatever, male or female and is maybe whatever race or or whatever, just some demographic data. But it's not going to say, oh, they have a history of whatever, diabetes or heart disease or whatever. And all of those things feed into whether they may need a procedure. Like it's just it's so infuriating reading about this.
0: Yep. Context matters. And they're not looking at the context they're looking at. They're not looking at the context of that human. They're looking at the context of the procedures, the cost and the historical evidence based on those demographics, but not on that specific human, the context of that human. So with that in mind, let's move on uh, to the next article, which. Uh, we have a few more to go and um, then you can go back about your day or evening. Uh, Venice is saved. Whoa is Venice. Um, this is a really interesting article and it's quite expansive uh, with a lot of pictures. It says after centuries of flooding, Venice has at long last raised seawalls sea walls to save itself from high water. But there are always knock on effects. Now, I actually spoke about this project a year ago. Um, when it was first being discussed um, publicly as being about to be implemented. And so um, they have these little snippets with a whole bunch of pictures, and then they get into the article itself. Jason Horowitz and Emma uh, Bubola are the authors of this article um, about Venice. And um, I was much younger when I went to Venice. Um It was an interesting place. I still remember some of it, but obviously not enough to recall uh, every aspect of it. Um, I do know from others and from uh, pictures and videos currently that the water is still rising, that they have a problem with um, the water uh, during certain times of the season just backing up. And so there's no circulation, uh, no flow, and it becomes kind of... Sewagey. And so, with global, well, climate change, uh, the sea level has been rising. It's flooding more regularly and more intensely, um, and it is sinking. Um, The the whole thing is basically a delta, so it's actually sinking. Um, And that's what it looks like right there. And what we're talking about in this article um, are these four seawalls. And what they are are massive platforms in the uh, sea floor that fill up with air or water, depending on what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and with Venice kind of ensconced inside this um, lower, well, what do you want? A, a shallower area called the, the Venetian Lagoon.
1: Like it might be below sea level or near sea level.
0: Yeah, it is at sea level, and so uh, without these seawalls, as the sea level rises or something catastrophic happens off the coast in the Adriatic Sea, um, it could feasibly wipe out Venice uh, because it's so close now to the water. The only thing that saves Venice on the regular is that it has a seawall in and of it, a natural seawall, um, and now it has these... Uh, massive um where's the it's an acronym now called MoS, um but let me see if i can find it
1: it's experimental electromechanical module but it's in italian that's why it doesn't match up with the letters
0: yeah there you go um and so um (laughs) pardon me so let me scroll down a little bit it's quite a major engineering feat um, one that I think is really fascinating, um, and really what it does, they talk about how it's sinking, um, the, uh, thing has been flooding periodically over its entire duration of existence. This re- the picture that, uh, you can see now, if you're watching the video over on YouTube or within the next 60 days here on Twitch, um, is a, a flood from 1966 where people were questioning if it was going to survive um, obviously it did uh, they've done some reconstruction of stuff but this is how the sea walls actually work so what ends up happening is they either fill it or drain it of water um, and pump air into it so that it keeps the adriatic sea out but only a little bit and it's measured based on how much, uh, air or water is in, um, these little buoys that are tied to the sea floor. Um, and so if they want to keep the water flowing, they can lower one side and the other one would act kind of like a buffer, um, slowly pumping water around, um, the lagoon.
1: it it sounds like it's solving both problems then like the rising level but also the stagnation of the water at times
0: yeah but for how long that's the thing Uh, they spent a a lot of money on making this thing happen um it says it's all controlled by an artificial island uh, in the opening of one of these um kind of uh gate kept areas and um i i don't know how long it will be uh, that this persists but apparently um this has been a known issue and they kind of expected it and um, some people said that they it was predicted a long time ago that uh, venice would be wiped out by a flood So I thought it was really interesting. And uh, when we saw that it was coming, this article came into hometown, I said, yeah, this definitely is worth kind of driving traffic to. So I hope that more people hear this via the podcast and uh, YouTube and then go over and read this article uh, because it'll be in the show notes. The link will um, connect you to it via hometown. Now, one of the biggest problems with this is as I'm scrolling through this, you won't be able to read this while I'm going through it, but that picture right there kind of tells a pretty big story in that there's no way to get to the other side of these gates if they're up, which means that anybody who's a fisher, a fisherman, a fisher person in Venice who needs to go out to the ocean has to wait for this gate to drop so that they can go outside the seawall
1: okay yeah that is a problem i didn't think about that
0: um and i'm not sure if it's entirely automated and you have to ask for special permission to get out um, but i suspect that it's rather automated so that they don't have the liability of somebody screwing up
1: so if you look up above this batch of pictures yeah. there that paragraph talks about the fishermen it was farther down it's okay
0: oh it is okay sorry <clears throat> uh inside the little thing or right here right there Oh, okay yeah so the the walls would need to be up more often than they were down combine that with increasingly uh, common violent winds and record rainfalls that push more water into the lagoon and the walls may need to be raised nearly constantly turning the decision on its head. So you would be talking about opening the lagoon, not closing the lagoon. Pretty fascinating, right? So if they're constantly messing with what these walls are supposed to be doing, you've basically spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And I don't even know. I don't recall what the cost was, um, but you've spent millions of dollars and all of this time on something that's going to be sporadically effective
1: so this says that um the fishermen and other shipping interests are raising concerns but they are trying to get navigable locks Um, so i guess ultimately that may be solved but maybe it won't be immediately
0: yeah and the locks are not gonna be inexpensive. So and they're a major time consuming uh I, I would say misadventure. Because you have to go into a lock, get raised up, moved over to the other side, and then back down. Um or and, and that's if like like the other uh canals that ha- that are in existence. Let me see if I can find that picture again. Um it isn't a pardon the pun sea change in level um but it is enough that they can't leave it always open or always closed they used to but if they do then you're talking about a flood every time somebody wants to leave so the that lock is going to be very slow which means somebody's going to have to do like that miner that copper miner leave hours before they actually get to their work site and then have to do the reverse um it's going to be quite a a misadventure so we'll see um it it's gonna suck um but this is the same thing as um new orleans has to deal with you're either on or below sea level the prudent thing for a human to do would be move, (laughs) but it's been around for hundreds of years. You want to, or thousands of years, depending on your take on it. Um. So what do you do? Do You change nature and fight something that eventually will fall or do you do the prudent thing?
1: Well, and also there are people without the resources to relocate, but yeah.
0: Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, the government should be able to invest in its citizens to relocate the people, um, rescue as much as possible and, uh, and recover as much as possible in terms of costs. But if you're running, uh, an entire city knowing that it's going to fall to climate change. The only thing that's going to save it now,
1: right? Like yeah. you don't just wait for it to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or you keep on issuing people out and say, it's just nothing more than tourists. And that's largely what Venice is nowadays. It's people are moving the, the, the people that used to live there and younger people are moving away for opportunity, um, and survivability. And it's really just a tourist trap. Um, That's just a turn of phrase. It's just there for tourists. I wouldn't say trap. Um, Because it's a beautiful place. I I still remember it being absolutely amazing to just gondola your way around the um, whole city. So, Anyway, um, let's move on to the next uh, article, which is in Late Night Geeks and um, virgin orbit runs low on cash bite dance pushes a TikTok replacement and canoe settles with the sec this is actually kind of an aggregate um, article that was um, put together by techcrunch um, and it has a bunch of uh, stuff in it now uh, the gatherer program does not grab all of this from Uh, TechCrunch. It actually gets provided by TechCrunch. Kyle Wiggers is the author of this article. At least that's their name on it. Um, And it is a composite. So follow that link and go over to this um, and you can read more about all of these things. But uh, what this composite is all talking about is that uh, Virgin Orbit basically is going bye-bye. In fact, I think that it might be uh seeking protection now but i'm not sure uh so don't hold me to that
1: there was an article yesterday where they were laying off i believe it was 85 percent of their staff which i mean
0: yeah that kind of gives
1: you an indication
0: Reevaluating what their ip is and and probably pivoting towards uh licensing their technology if anybody wants to buy it um and now ByteDance. dance and TikTok, um, the problem here is that uh, TikTok is tied to ByteDance in a pretty intimate way, even though the CEO of TikTok says, "No, that's not really the facts." Um, but y- y- yeah, yeah, I'm—I don't know. I can't really buy into that, but. Anyway, um there's a really good chance that TikTok is going to be banned in the United States within the domestic environs, which means that people are going to be accessing TikTok via VPNs. Um so when you have a tech-savvy population, they will figure out how to uh, penetrate that barrier, whatever it is. Um and so if the CCP is still if they are involved in TikTok, they will remain involved in TikTok. But apparently, my understanding is that TikTok isn't really that prevalent in China um, because everybody uses the social network that's provided by the CCP. Um, and you don't want to use something that gives you a negative social credit score. So um, maybe I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, somebody let me know. I, I'm happy to entertain conversations about this um but the more that people hear about TikTok and its ties to CCP the more the faster it's going to accelerate to getting banned but still people are going to I, unless it creates a wholly owned subsidiary uh in the United States which I have seen other companies do nobody's going to trust TikTok america because the data could still be exfiltrated um and so i think if it does get banned tiktok is dead in the united states Um, and finally canoe is a vehicle ev uh, developer of what looks like a vw minibus kind of a thing um let's see if they have any pictures of it but no i don't think they do um anyway uh they were actually selling uh, the vehicles to oh who was it was it the usps and i think walmart? it was
1: usps or walmart or maybe both
0: and um well they were selling the vehicles and it says the that the um ev startup canoe has agreed to a 1.5 million dollar settlement with the securities and exchange commission Uh, Because it was getting investigated in 2021, focusing on the startups, operations, business model revenues, pretty much everything that makes a company a company, including the co-founder and CEO, Ulrich Kranz or Kranz. Um, I'm not sure of the specifics of this uh, because $1.5 million for an investigation seems kind of low rent. Um, But it's some basic filing that they're settling something with but i'd have to go and look um why the the company was actually uh, being investigated
1: right and it could be any number of things from statements made by one of the principal uh, my point is it may or may not be something really bad with the company overall but it could be um and it looks like there are other interesting snippets in here that aren't in the headline for example the supply chain attack um that's just above the canoe segment um and there was something else in here about a like a dating app building something else which (laughs) sounded kind of odd it was up near the top um oh date while filing taxes like yeah i think there's just a lot of interesting segments in this article
0: there's a new anime dating sim that does your taxes and it actually works amanda played uh, tax heaven 3000 a game produced by MSCHF, which is probably pronounced mischief um the venture funded creative studio behind projects like push party and lil naz uh, x blood shoes um which Uh, You'll have to look. Just go and pull that up. Anyway, what's the verdict? If you don't mind risking sharing your personally identifiable information with an anime girl obsessing over the tax process, it's not the least pleasant way to file your return. So I think that's really fascinating that you caught that. That's really interesting. Um, And so, yeah, you were talking about Virgin Orbit um, laying off 85% of its workforce in order to further reduce um, expenses. Um, They were unable, uh, I think they did a a launch and it basically disintegrated um, on its return. I think that's what actually happened, Um, which actually (laughs) they referred to this section as crash and burn, which might actually be exactly that. Um, And that layoff actually comes two weeks after the company furloughed all of its employees and entered an operational pause in order to find more cash. So I think um, the fate is sealed. So let's move on to this next and last two articles. Um, Dark Fantasy RPG Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, now available in Steam uh, Early Access. It's an open world first person RPG described as a dark reimagining of Arthurian legend. Um, Some people dig it. Um, It is open world. Uh, I've been looking at it, but I haven't really. I haven't. uh, I use this phrase pull the trigger. Some people flinch when I say that. Anyway, um, The Fall of Avalon is an open-world dark fantasy RPG full of quests, loot, choices, um, and monster set on the bleak island in the verge of ruin. It's being developed by Polish independent studio Questline, who are responsible for Tainted Grail Conquest, which received praise for its lore and story with a 91% positive uh, review rating on Steam. Um, I will probably end up getting this, but I'll probably wait until it goes on sale. Um I do interact more with, uh, VR stuff and chill games. Um, the one that I'm playing right now that I really dig is dice kingdoms. Um, that's in early access. And, uh, there's a new one, um, called where is it? Um, sorry for the dead air there. Uh, panorama, which is, uh, Kind of like it's a a hex based tiling game and um, it's a lot of fun, but very chill. And that's kind of how I am. Dorf Romantic is the game that I was struggling to find the name of Um, and Dorf Romantic has been updating as well. So there's a lot of fun games out there. Uh, But this one here uh, is an open world RPG game. If you are interested in that kind of thing, and um, it's a lot of fun. So uh, come and check it out and come and talk to me about it. Um, uh, The AI just kind of looks at me when I uh, try to talk about computer games. They've got much more important things to do than uh, play games with me. So um, the last article for today is in the late night geeks channel which is one of the channels that i would like to bring to twitch um, to discuss gaming um, while playing games like these chill games um, but also talking about it and and uh, doing this all late at night Um, there is a massive contingent on uh, twitch who well there's always somebody that's up late at night uh, wherever night might be somebody's late night is somebody else's morning um and so late night geeks is basically for those of us who are um, night owls anyway it's april fool's day but this asus rog ally handheld gaming pc might not be a joke and the rog stands for republic of gamers supposed to be higher end stuff higher quality stuff their uh, monitor rog game uh, asus rog monitors uh, have always been really nice Um, and by nice, I mean, expensive. So considering the date on the calendar and the lack of a price or other details, the first and probably correct response to ACES surprise announcing a handheld gaming machine is that it must be an April fool's day prank. Still, this ACES ROG ally, um, launch video is just a little too good to simply shake off. So let's go over to the verge. And it's Richard Lawler who put this article together and it says, uh, this portable PC gaming machine from Asus would be serious competition for the steam deck if the company actually puts it on sale. So I'm going to mash play here, but I'm calling it now that I don't think that this would actually be very popular. Um, and I think it wouldn't be popular because of the placement of the controllers, um, in reference to the frame of this, device. Uh, I don't know. There's something odd about the placement. These controls way up high mean that your arms are up here and you're looking below where your hands are no, for more than 50%. Yeah. For more than 50% of the screen is going to be below it. Now, um, let me look at something real quick. I mean, we're running over, we might as well lean into it. So really, so the um the steam deck is um similar, but the screen the the whole device the for the steam deck is actually smaller um and so when I see the steam deck and when I saw the steam deck i it didn't look like this. it didn't look like. Your hands are right here. And then 50% of the screen is below your hands on the steam deck. And here I'll just, because it's easy to just show you. Wow. Okay. When I click this picture, it just embiggened it. I mean,
1: this is going to sound ridiculous, but is it possible that they have it displayed upside down?
0: No, (laughs) no but this is the, this is the steam deck. So it's a little bit more, Oh God. Um, it's a little bit more, um, in the right ratio, right? Whereas this just looks like this big old chunky thing. Anyway, I may be giving it way too much thought, uh, because it's an April fools, uh, video, but I'm going to mash this button here. here. And I muted it so that I don't get a takedown. Um, Let me hurry up and get to it. There we go. So if this is legit. See, now the picture and the size of it belies how big it actually is that picture made it look like it was a lot bigger but the moment that somebody picked it up it got smaller (laughs) it got real smaller it was a weird forced perspective thing um that looks like it's the right size so anyway if it works then i think it's great because it it increases competition for portable PC-based gaming, you know, the switch is the switch, but it's basically a vertical, you know, you, you are in the Nintendo ecosystem, whereas with the steam deck or competitors to it, you basically have the ability to play any game that is available. Well, at least on the steam deck, you could actually also do Linux, um, not just windows. Anyway, um, he's carrying around his consoles or his, it's not even a console. It's a full PC just in a tiny container. So this actually works. I mean, I think that this is a legit device.
1: I do too, but why would they put that out on April fool's day? I mean, is it just possible they didn't realize
0: that was april Fool's Day. <laughs> yeah really i don't know so let me pause this and um yeah i guess i'll just have to um wait and see but to me when i first saw this this makes it look like it's just this big old device but it actually isn't um it actually looks pretty good Anyway, it says, more than anything, the the machine featured in the video looks fully designed and ready to roll out as a high-powered entry into the portable gaming market. And it's certainly more realistic than what Asus ROG posted on April Fool's Day 2022, hawking a concept smart lens for eye-controlled gestures that it later revealed was a joke. Guess we'll see.
1: I mean if this company has done this previously. <laughs> like but I said also, I mean, if everybody likes this, then maybe they'll actually make it.
0: Like I said, it's dangerous to surf the internet on April Fool's Day. Um, so take everything with a grain of salt, everything that you saw today. Um this will come out tomorrow morning. Um I might be able to post this tonight, but I think most people won't see this until tomorrow. Um, So it's a day late and a dollar short, but still April fools. Prepare yourself for next year now because you're not going to be able to know who to trust. But I wouldn't mind having this. This would be a cool. I don't want all of my eggs in one basket and getting something other than the Steam Deck um, seems like it would be uh, pushing the Steam Deck to get better by right. going somewhere else. And that's what I want. I want everybody having to get better for my consumer dollar. Um, so let's see how, let's see what happens. Uh, but like always, if you go back to the front page of Ohm Town, mash on the logo, you re-enter and you get a whole new, uh, set of articles. (sighs) There's that Kratos calls for ceasefire in console wars article. Um, that was two hours ago. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Today has been a slow news day.
0: Yeah. We're supposed to stop fighting about our console choices, folks. I agree. We shouldn't fight. We should make all of the consoles that console developers lower their costs and increase performance and capability. That's how it should be. And all of us in unison saying get better um, versus, you know, somebody bagging on my mom because I've got a PlayStation five and not an Xbox or something. You know, they don't because I'm not a console player. But anyway. That's it for today, folks. Um, this has been the hometown daily news show for April 1st, 2023. I'm Merwatt. That's hometown.com. And up there is the AI from on high, who I think is about to just completely turn off for the night. You want to say good goodnight?
1: night? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you at tomorrow's show.
0: 9 p.m. Eastern. Be there or be I don't know. Don't. I would prefer it if you'd show up though. That would be great.
1: Just be there.
0: Be there. Be there. You can lurk. People do lurk here in uh, hometown. Not a problem. But don't forget, follow, like, and subscribe, Ring the bell, uh, hang out uh, in the podcast, uh, go over to the discord. Uh, There's a Twitter thing and a Patreon. I'm pretty much everywhere, but. You know, I'd rather just see you here in Twitch, come on over twitch.tv slash hometown. Okay. Bye everybody.